Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Marchuk. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Al Nakfi, founder and CEO of American AI. Dr. Nakfi pioneered and designed an industrial capture technology software platform that revolutionizes AI adoption. Uh, Dr. Nafi has authored, co-authored, and edited a dozen books on artificial intelligence and has spoken at major global conferences on AI. He also advises governments and government agencies on how to build AI economies, AI policies, AI governance and ethics, and AI industrial strategies. He is one busy guy. Welcome, Dr. Nafi. Thank you, Michael. What did I miss in your introduction? I'm really happy to talk with you, but I'm sure I probably missed something <laughs> you want to highlight that I didn't cover. Yeah, I think you missed the part that that I am very confused individual who is pursuing <laughs> so many different things. You are stretched, but, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I think you covered it well. Just that the focus of my research is in AI industrialization, which means that application of AI to build national economies and on both sides, on the government side, as well as on the private sector side. Gotcha. Now, I know we've talked about this before. Why is AI important for the U.S. government? I know with the defense departments, we can understand cybersecurity and that sort of thing. But AI has a lot more applications within the government, I suspect. Yeah, and that that's a great question in terms of from if you know that analogy has been made in the past by several experts in AI that AI is like a city being the underlying force or energy that drives everything else. So if you imagine that what the world would have been without electricity, you can just cannot imagine what the world would have been today because everything from industrial aspects to lighting up your homes to education to traffic, everything is dependent on electricity. Exactly in the same way, AI is the fuel for future economy. So everything that happens in an economy, whether it's healthcare, it's defense, it's transportation, it's energy, education, everything, all sectors or retail, everything is dependent on AI. So it's a powerful force. Now, what you mentioned was that it's important for defense. That refers to a certain geopolitical situation that we all understand now with great power competition, where there is a rise of the, these new powers that's going on in the world. And that competition, the basis of that competition that we're facing now is also technology-based. No other technology but AI. So we the basis of competition today in the world and what will help us to either sustain or lose our status as a premier superpower status will be AI. So if you put all this together in summary, think of it as uh, the new form of electricity in some ways, 
just equally important as electricity was or the information technology was. That's how powerful this is. I see. So how do you see AI and automation intertwining within the government? So think of it in this way. When we think about automation, you can almost divide it into three levels of automation, very simple automations that are just a nuisance. They are time wasters for people. It takes, uh, it takes brain power away, essentially, when we do those things. So in some ways, that is an important focus, not only to free up resources, but free up that cognitive power of humans so that they can do more important and strategic work. And that's where we see one type of automation. Then you, there's more sophisticated automation, which is a more complex task that requires some level of human advanced human thinking and skill. Driving is a great example. Autonomous driving is a complex thing to do. It's very sophisticated. And the third stage is in which you can imagine surgeons performing surgery, which can be totally automated, the entire aspect of that, and which will require physical skill automation as well as cognitive skill automation and a combination of both. So when we think about automation and NAI, we need to think of them as, as together and never forget that the underlying basic automation is extremely important, but I don't think it should be viewed as the, the starting point because then we are thinking of ourselves saying that, look, we must do this first and finish this, and then we will get into more sophisticated automation. I think we should approach that everything as together, that more sophisticated automation as well as basic underlying automation that is enabled by RPA should be done simultaneously, pursued simultaneously, and with some type of strategic framework that incorporates both. You're simultaneously creating new knowledge you're simultaneously improving your predictive ability so that you're making better decisions and you are creating efficiencies through basic and more advanced automation. So things are now moving faster through the processes. This is just explosive efficiency improvement that anyone can do with proper thinking and proper strategy. So when you look at a government perspective, it's a huge entity and talking about any government in the world has got a lot of different layers to it. I imagine some of those layers are more advanced than others in terms of their adoption of automation and AI. What's the general state of AI in, in the government? So we had a bit of a rough start in, in the U.S. in the federal government. And because I don't think we were able to fully recognize the true potential of AI to approach it from a broad institutional and broad strategic perspective, but things are improving. So we have had developments both from the agencies as well as on the legislative side where AI has now become central to the future of technology in the agency. Something known as National Defense Authorization Act of 2021 uh, became landmark legislation for AI which means that agencies must adopt and report on how they're doing. So many different bills related to AI were rolled into that. And that set direction for the future adoption of AI. And you're right that it's not unanimous. 
Some agencies are more advanced than others. Some have even published formal AI strategic plans. Others are still struggling to understand what it means for them, but there is significant investment we know from the government that goes that's going into AI. And when I say that a lot of that money is going into AI, we're talking about very strict definition of AI here. For example, RPA and machine learning and all that. All of that is is considered that as um, as investment in AI. So when I think about Tesla, for example, a company, I view that as nothing but an AI company with autonomous driving. And yes, it has the electric car feature, but you many companies have electric car features, but a powerful part of these, these machines are, and these are not cars anymore. These are really smart robots that will drive us from point A to point B. And that means that these are AI-enabled technologies. In the same way, we have many applications in the defense side, and and these are some of them are already put in practice, and others are coming. So you mentioned that we're seeing an imbalance in terms of how AI and automation is applied within the government. What are some of the problems and issues that make it hard for the government to adopt and implement AI? I will go through several points here, and these are important for your audience to understand because they can actually help government in these cases go back to go back a few decades and think about how ERP enterprise resource planning systems came out. They were not just point applications. They were they were trying to automate or enable the entire organization, supply chains and marketing and sales and human resources, finance, accounting, everything to work together, operations, everything came together. And so the mindset there was that we are not dealing with a single problem. We're dealing with making the entire organization more efficient. That's where we need to go with AI. So the more we can get out of this tactical use case centric point solution mindset and focus on broad strategic transformational areas and then broad processes and think about automating them, the better for us and our government. Now, second thing is that we need to focus on industrialization and supply chain building so that when we approach automation in government, we need to think about the entire value chain that will be supporting that automation so that it's not only building capabilities in the government, but also building the entire supply base, our industrial base, to support that activity. That includes education as well. I think there's a need for a more strategic education at all levels in the government so people can become better buyers of AI and they can understand their needs better. And I believe that companies such as yours should help the government envision these type of solutions. Then data management still remains problematic across agencies. That's something that needs to be be improved. And finally, that existing infrastructure that governments have sometimes make it harder. For example, we don't have certain sophisticated ontologies that are needed. Our data is spread out in different, different areas. There are different security standards, and sometimes it's not possible to build good application because we don't have that data. Those are some of the things that we need to overcome 
And that will happen as our legacy culture changes and we become more efficient. A lot of that has to do with, I think, a type of seminars or educational programs and podcasts that you do, Michael, is to create that awareness about these issues. This is a new field. This is a new level uh, of awareness that's coming in our country and across the world. So these programs are very helpful in doing that. So you mentioned it's been difficult in some of these areas. Have there been success stories that you could share that you've been involved with or understand that can really guide the way for folks who are listening? Success stories are happening, but again, they're happening at more of a, of a project level. So there have been many successful projects. But as the more we see about strategic plans coming out from agencies and more coordinated aspects we see across different processes, I would consider that as a success. We have not seen that level of building an entire agency, for example, around AI concept yet, although we have seen that in the private sector where, for example, Amazon has declared that in in some ways, so did Walmart, that they will be building the entire companies around AI. And that was a powerful vision statement. So we need to get there, but there are many successes at project level that have come out. Government has automated things and VA has automated things, NIH has automated things, DOD obviously have done successful automations in many areas. There have been efficiency improvements, cost cutting. But what I would like to see is to have an entire agency transformation program broken down into various processes and new types of processes that will be introduced and then developing and tying in a broad strategy that will bring in suppliers to achieve that kind of, of monumental automation and AI. So I think that that's, if I can answer your question in really quickly, is that the progress has been there, but it's still at a tactical level. We need to take it at a transformational strategic level. Who, who do you see would drive that? Is it at the agency level where someone at the agency would be able to drive that strategy? Or where does that come from? Where does that strategy come from? So this strategy needs to come from, obviously, a combination of academia, supply base, as well as the government there. But what we have seen is that the vision setting from the academia has been very tactical also because academics come from different research areas. They are specialists in their own. You will have machine learning experts and you will have RPA experts and those kinds of things. And then you have companies also. Supply base is pretty spread out in different, different areas. And um, there are many suppliers who lack authenticity or experience. So people are making claims all over. They can do AI. But when you really look under the hood, there is not much of AI or even RPA going on there. They're not, they don't have that strategic patience that you need and how to navigate through the complexity of government contracting. It's a very complex space. And it requires significant patience. So they have to develop those capabilities. We see legacy companies in AI still having a hold over all the major deals that come out. So these innovation form companies, innovative supply suppliers of AI and RPA, they usually have to take this back position 
um, and they, as the primes are still the legacy firms who allocate then business to, to them. And so they get a smaller part of the deal. And that is probably less motivating for them when they see alternative opportunity areas and, for example, in financial services or healthcare and the private sector. So they don't allocate as many resources to build on the government side, even though I believe that government side is far bigger and far more lucrative than, than on the commercial side, at least as we go forward, as our country's needs are changing. I think we will see a huge increase on that side. So I believe that this level of education and awareness building, it should come from the supply base as much as possible. And because it's good for them, it's good for the country, it's good for their customers. And that's where I think that, that this market should evolve. So you made a good point, which is something that I know I've seen when we're dealing with our government clients that uh, from the commercial side, commercial industry, generally speaking, they move a little faster. They also have a incentive to become more efficient and or to do things differently to be able to compete where government doesn't necessarily have those same kinds of pressures. So when you look at the activities that are coming from these vendors or suppliers that are helping the government, who likely will also be helping commercial industries, how do those those vendors bring ideas back into the government to help them expand or grow to see these new things, especially if you're saying the academia side is not necessarily providing that same level of growth or, or potentially not the same kind of impact that we've seen on the commercial side. Yes. Let's take a step back and address one thing that you said, which is important is that these companies, when they are providing this awareness building, what part of that is their responsibility? And also that it's a different approach than that you apply in private sector. In private sector sales, even though they, they are good, I believe that suppliers should focus in a strategic way on these government sales by understanding that this is a completely different way to sell, a completely different way to contract, a completely different way for business development, and acknowledge that. And once they acknowledge that, then internally, they should start building those capacities. And you mentioned something, you said there's competitive pressure on the business side. But we should understand, and that's the area where I think it's important to bring China in, is that there is significant competitive pressure on the government side also. It's just that we need to start expressing that and have open conversation about that, that we do need to move fast and we do need to move forward. And, and there is urgency in doing that if we want to sustain and maintain our global leadership position. Going back to your question now, that what we see is that at the front end of this value chain are the legacy players. So these are government contracting firms from DC area 
with 30, 40 years of experience in selling to the government. They have been there forever. They understand all the little things. They can navigate their way through this, this puzzle. But those are the capabilities that I believe innovative firms would need to develop internally if they want to get a bigger share of the market, as well as also they want to help their countries in the best possible way. Because And then for legacy companies also, I think legacy companies need to transform into more innovation-centric companies instead of just being the upfront selling arm of services who can then find these platform players as suppliers. So now what does that mean for innovative companies? How can they help their country in the best possible way? And also capture this business in the most profound way. I think it's building your internal capacity, which is known as capture planning and your sales and business development planning for government and marketing excellence, which is applied this brand building focused on government sales and also this ability to to respond to government RFPs so that you have a sophisticated, proper way to respond to these RFPs and win business and also to maximize the number of submissions that you do in a given year and achieve that contracting excellence. And they should try to, by doing all that, if they can successfully do that, and it will not take as much investment as a lot of people think that it will, but it's just a different type of building sales and marketing capability within the organization. Once they do that, the biggest benefit is that they can move forward in the value chain. So in a way, they can they can push the front-end legacy players at this point to the side and can directly sell to the government and do those very successful sales. And if they can do that, then, then they, they increase their market share significantly. And once they're in there, that opens up a very large opportunities for them. So I would agree that there's massive opportunity for private sector firms to help the government become more efficient and to compete. Um, however, commercial entities tend to be more agile and more able to move more quickly versus the government, which tends to have very set buying cycles and slower adoption. So how do you reconcile that innovation and agility that these private sector vendors are used to on the commercial side with the pace that the government moves at? Now, government is now aware of this thing that you just mentioned, and there are some programs that they have started in, which are designed for these smaller companies who move the fast-moving innovation companies. I think we'll see more of that in the coming years. I think we'll see more of that in, in uh, 2023 and forward. But going back to one of the keywords that I used was patience that we have to learn. And you're right that commercial sales are such that you can go out and you can sell a contract and there's only one or two decision makers. And once you pass through that, they have the authority to just sign on the deal. And next thing you know, you're they're working. So it's financial dynamics, it's economic dynamics are very different. And not only from the credibility and reputation perspective, but also from the financial perspective, it's a very good way. And, and so in other words, that it really pays off if you can acquire that strategic discipline 
and you do it sincerely, you develop that capture plans that you're in. All of these business processes that I mentioned are very different. So you can't compare the two commercial sales and government sales and view them as as same. These are totally two different business models, if you can think of them that way. And if you can maintain that level of separation, strategic separation in your mind and can patiently pursue through the government contracting space, the benefits of that are just profound. It's stable, long-term earnings with a strategic sense and a reliable stream of revenue. Okay. Well, I think there are certainly opportunities for companies to be able to engage with government to help them move them forward. And the complexities of engaging with the governor are obviously a known challenge. So switching gears on this, I generally don't tend to think of government and innovation as things that go together. Uh, do you see innovation happening on the government side that you would see beyond the commercial side regarding AI and automation? See, when we say that government is not innovative, and yet we see our military capacity and our defense capabilities as number one in the world, and on name anything from airplanes to drones to, to cybersecurity, to name anything, we are number one in those areas. That means that we truly are innovative and government is innovative. It just depends on, again, that on what priorities we put in. And yes, there are certain things in which we can do better. But I think that this is a little bit unfortunate branding problem that we have when we say well, government is not innovative. If they were not innovative, we will not have number one top-notch national security structure that we have to protect this country. So that means that government is innovative in certain areas. And which means that government can be innovative in other areas. That's what I mean by going back to creating that awareness to the government and showing them that what other possibilities are and why those possibilities are equally important. At one point, those things were not deemed important. They were not considered important because national security was defined in a very narrow way of large security. And But now with the great power competition and the rise of new adversaries, the nature of competition is very different. So now everything is competitive and our financial markets are competitive. Our regulations are competitive. Our energy sector is competitive. You name it, because the world is now back to great power competition status. And when you have, that means that U.S. government needs to be innovative in all areas, not just in hard security areas. So soft security areas such as climate change, human trafficking, law enforcement, all of those things are equally important. And that implies, for example, healthcare, NIH, the faster we can bring a new vaccines to market. And you saw that with COVID, then how FDA moved and how quickly these vaccines came out. And so if you think about this, that was something that was that that showed the power of innovation is possible. Supply base needs to become active. AI industry itself it has not been very strategic and transformative in trying to convince government or show the government the possibilities. I think that we can do much better as AI industry 
if we can show these possibilities to the government and show them that why they're important. And there's significant political will at this point that exists at the legislative level, at the White House level, you name it. So there is just significant support for this. And there's money available also. The only thing that remains is that our ability to capture that imagination and communicate and show the necessity and the importance and the competitive dynamics of not doing that if something is not done. And that's not just applicable to do hard security defense areas, but everything else, because these are the times we're, we're living in. So did you do mention, I appreciate the clarification on the sort of imbalance where we do have exceptional amounts of, of innovation happening in very narrow areas, but then more broadly speaking, it's, it's a hit or miss across the other agencies within the government. And then we've been speaking to federal government, but let's we'll even go down to state and local governments where they have similar needs, perhaps on the defense side of things, but they have similar needs in terms of their they process their taxes, they process the healthcare records, they process a whole lot of other activities that are still not embracing that kind of AI innovation. How do we, we as a corporate environment or as citizens help the government to embrace this on all levels? Yeah, exactly. That is where this awareness creation comes in. These are the types of talks that we're doing right now. And our company, for example, specializes in providing capture technology automated AI platform that is designed specifically for that, in which companies as yours, yours and others can develop their own government capture plans and position themselves and go after various government uh, contracts and create that efficiency in, in contracting. That's one way to do that. But the most important thing is education and awareness creation. And that awareness creation should come with, the, with an understanding that these times are now different. This is something that I mentioned in the answer to the previous question also, and I'll reemphasize that, that whether we're talking about state government or city governments or federal government, the times are now that we are in the midst of a global competition with very sophisticated players. And these are, these are near peers, as they call them, which means that they're very close in, in having this competitive aspect. And they're all competing with us on technology. Technology means that it's not just about having technology. So we can have much more sophisticated technology than our global competitors. But if it's not applied to create value or transform, uh, then it, it becomes meaningless. So not only we have to develop new technology and create that innovation, but also apply it and adopt that technology so that we can uh, create value. And that needs to happen at all levels. So if state governments are not doing it, for example, this disaster with Ian, the storm that we are seeing in Florida, the question should be that how can AI be used to predict that its path and how AI could have been used for evacuations and how AI will be used for support and relief and how AI will be used to rebuild those areas. 
And that needs to happen at state level and federal level and each city level. And there needs to be this coordinated effort to approach these disasters from that perspective. And that is what I mean by a strategic implementation of AI. Now, you can think of a use case and just focus on a little part of this, but it should be disaster management, should be, should be viewed as that. And so that these disasters don't turn into catastrophes and we, we can control them at an early stage, uh, obviously the, the impact of them and help as many people as possible. So that part implies a coordinated effort between, so it's not just federal government going through this transformation, but all states and all agencies. And when we start creating as an AI industry, this awareness that you, anything that you do, you will do it better with AI. And there is, it's not just about a use case here and a use case there. It's about thinking your entire strategic operation. That's where I think that the, the really, the rise of AI in America will become significant and of the AI industry. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. All right. So some final questions now that have nothing to do with what we were just talking about, but I know you've written a number of books and uh, you've just had another one come out. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? And then I also want to know, after you tell me about that book, if, if I were to look on your nightstand right now, what book would I find there? <laughs> okay. So my book is At the Speed of Irrelevance. This book was written as I was viewing articles and research started coming out about America's decline in AI. And it raised a very important question. And many books were written and articles were written about why China is progressing so fast in AI and how they're doing it. But no one asked a question that why are we de declining? Why did the wheels come off? And especially when we had such, such, such an competitive advantage over them. So I started researching on that question with a co-author and we analyzed many different areas all the way from the executive branch and some of the things that could have been done better to legislative branch and looking down at agency levels and then how investment happened in AI and how the whole, the AI industry defined AI and all of those things. And I covered that in, in this book to give this concise understanding of what can we do and how can we get back and move faster and why we need to approach AI in a strategic way. And in terms of books that you asked me, my, at this point, I am very interested in understanding the history of research and development in America and different models that are that America has experienced and gone through and that the history of economics actually it's research that comes out from that which is so these are a little bit of technical books but history of economic theory is where you will find not one book but multiple books. And outside of that, I think that a new novel came out from Stephen King recently, which I'll be reading. Well, thank you for letting us in on your own reading interest. I appreciate that. I will make sure to leave a link to your latest book in the show notes for the episode. Dr. Nakvi, I really appreciate you joining us today and providing your insights and how governments are using AI and what we can look forward to. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. 
Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.